Uh, hey, I'm Jeremy Bauer. Welcome, everybody. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is good to see all of you this morning. We are continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you weren't paying attention or even were paying attention, we skipped over a passage. Spoiler alert, we skipped over a passage. It's uh, Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42. And this is going to perhaps a very well, perhaps misunderstood passage in the New Testament and in the Gospels. As uh, we look at this passage at face value, it can seem that Jesus is imploring his hearers to be passive when being physically abused or being taken advantage of. Well, there is more to this passage than meets the eye, so let's read it together, starting in verse, 30, uh, verse 38. You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to them who one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow f- from you. Now, I remembered on Tuesday this week, I was out of town and I needed to text Linda my sermon title and scripture passage and I hadn't done it. So I was driving and I turned to my wife, Carrie, and I said, uh, hey, can you text Linda the sermon? She's like, okay, go ahead. She pulls it up. I was like, sermon title. Okay, colon, uh, turn the other cheek. She's like, ugh, what? It's like, yeah, turn the other cheek. She had, I think she had written out colon, turn the other cheek, and uh, that was quite comical. So I corrected that. No, two periods, not a semicolon, a colon. So believe it or not, Jesus is not telling us to be passive when confronting evil or an evildoer. In fact, the very opposite, he is telling us to address injustices and evil head on. If you pardon my pun. No, nobody got the pun head on? Turn, uh, it's fine. Thanks, Bobby. (laughs) So we're going to take verse by verse, looking at the first two uh, first. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is going and he's referring back to the Mosaic law when God handed down the law to Moses and Moses to the people at Mount Sinai. He's looking at Exodus chapter 21. And the whole of Exodus 21 is giving the Hebrew people a guideline and understanding, a right and left limit to what their boundaries were. Right to set them apart to be holy from the other nations that they were being surrounded by. And in this context, the people had never received the law before. These are all new and brand new instructions. And God gives them specifically what they are to do when something happens and how to exact an injustice or a crime or a penalty no more, no less. 
So looking at Exodus 21, starting in verses uh, 25 through 27, it says, Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. God knows the human tendency for us to want to exact revenge or try to get even. And I even think I gave an example of this uh, with kids and how, you know, if someone gets punched in the shoulder, the natural tendency is to hit a person back in the shoulder, but usually harder. Um, But it's nearly impossible to exact the right amount of force or punishment that we've received, we always want to escalate. We always want to get back at the person with even more. And so this is no different when we experience abuse, perhaps bodily harm, property, possessions, but also our pride. And this is where Jesus once once again calls his hearers to have a higher standard. Jesus' hearers would have had and been very familiar with the Mosaic Law. They, they knew what eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth meant. But now, he, this current situation, Jesus is emphasizing that now there is a higher standard and there is a calling that we are now being challenged on. The first law introduced the left and right limits, but now Jesus is taking that Old Testament law, the Mosaic Law, and he is expounding on the full meaning in, in that context. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other cheek also. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says the right cheek? He could have just said any cheek, but he says the right cheek. And this is where my hesitant Andrew Shandy is going to come up to the platform next to me as a demonstration so that you can all see what is going on. And this, hey, it's going to be on uh, TV. You don't have to videotape. No, I was just kidding. They're going to, yeah. Andrew, I'm more nervous than you are at this point. I am. So, Andrew, can you show everybody where your right cheek is? Right cheek. The only way for me to hit Andrew on his right cheek is by backhanding him. That would have been a sign of disrespect to him. It would have shown me that I'm in a place of power or authority, and he is in a subservient position, and that's why I am backhanding him. It's a sign of disrespect, and I'm not, we're not equal. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, so Andrew, turn the other cheek, my only option now is to hit him like this or like this, which would be creating us as an equal. Does that make sense? So now he is creating an equal stance, and it's forcing me, the person who was either in the place of power or authority, I'm now coming down to his level, or now he is coming up to my level. And the person now has a choice. I can either make him my equal, or I can walk away. So thank you, Andrew. So I'll give Andrew a, a hand. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. So 
Turning the other cheek forces the person who first slapped them on the right cheek, again, being in a position of uh, a lower status, it is now elevating themselves to a place of equality with the other person. And so once again, the onus is on the person who has done the slapping or punching in the first place, and it's making them decide, am I going to choose to allow this person to be elevated with me? Am I going to walk away? I can't use my left hand because that would have been uh, disrespectful, even more so. It would, have, it would have been shameful to do that. A respectable person would not have done that. So Jesus isn't passive. He's not telling his listeners to be passive. He's confronting evil, and he's going to show the person who does that their evil actions and intent in front of everybody. So, in the next passage... Jesus says, if anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, you should give them your coat as well. Now, in the Greek, it doesn't totally do it justice. It can be translated coat or cloak or uh, this, uh, this outer garment or whatever. But in, there's nuances in the New Testament where this can also be referred to as your undergarment or something that's touching your skin, something close to your skin, like underwear. And so... Um, this cloak, uh, whether it's cloak, coat, or underwear, the connotation is still going to be the same in this. But it seems like a weird scenario all the way around. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 through 15 and 17 through 18, we hear how someone might find themselves in this particular situation, starting in verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the, pledge, or making the loan bring the pledge out to you. And if the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possessions. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of the hired hand or the hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and counting on it. Otherwise they might cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Do not deprive the foreigner of the, or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And this is why I commanded you to do this. So I'm going to have another person come up and show what it is to give their undergarments away. No. That person declined. So for me, no, I will not uh, do that as well and you're welcome. Actually, uh, I was taking a class in um, uh, conflict resolution, and, and this person came up, and they literally got down into their underwear when they were going over this passage. It was, it was weird, to say the least, okay? But for someone to give up their tunic or their outer garment or whatever... Number one, they would probably have to be very poor. Because what else would you have to give someone as a pledge if the only thing you have left is what you're wearing? The person's going to be poor. 
And number two, the person who is taking the, the garment from you, if, if they are a fellow Israelite, would be very familiar with the Mosaic teaching in Deuteronomy 24, knowing that you're not supposed to take that at night either. You're supposed to give it back at the end of the day so that the person can sleep with it to keep them warm. This essentially is the last thing that this poor person has for, to keep them warm at night. It's, it's their last piece of property. There is nothing else that they can give as a pledge. And so, once again, the decision comes down to the person who's doing the demanding. Either I can go and take this person's outer garment and I will keep it, or I'll have to take their other garment as well. Now, it's weird because in our society, if I was to be naked in front of all of you, and don't picture that one, but if, if that were to happen, I would feel shame. I would feel ashamed for that. But in their culture, anyone who looks upon someone who was naked, that was a shame to them. So if, if you remember Noah and, and the shameful act, you know, with his, with his sons. But to look on someone's nakedness was that person's shame, not the one who was actually naked. And so what you're telling the person, look, fine, this is the last thing that I have. This is the one thing that I'm going to have to sleep with at night to keep me warm. My, my last piece of property, it's yours. And since you're taking this from me as a pledge, why don't you just go ahead and just take it all? Now the person has a choice. They can either choose to take both garments, or they can realize that they were probably wrong in the first place for demanding this coat or this cloak back. Once again, the person is realizing where the injustice truly lies is which is with them, not the other person. Finally, in verse 41 through 42, Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So we need to ask ourselves, who would ask us to go one mile? One mile in those days was about a thousand paces, 1.5 kilometers. Who would force us to go one mile in the first place? Well, the Roman army would force you to go a mile. They had the authority to do essentially what they wanted to do with those whom they were in power over. Now, Dr. Grant Osborne said that the Roman soldiers uh, were not paid adequately enough to cover some of their basic needs, so they could demand from the people money, they could demand from them food, they could demand uh, that they carry stuff for them, kind of like a, a servant would do that. But the Roman army was very disciplined and they were only allowed to exact a certain limit and that was one mile. They couldn't force someone to go more than that. That was their limit. And if they force someone to go more than just one mile, again, thinking of the people uh, during the time of Jesus where the Romans were in power, the other people had less power. They couldn't 
they were in a place of uh, weakness, essentially. They, they couldn't fight back. They had, to, they had to take that. So to go an extra mile with that soldier puts that soldier in a predicament. So if I'm forcing you to carry a backpack for me, for instance... Say, I got the backpack, we're going a mile, do-do-do. So I'm going a mile, we reach the end of the mile. Hey, that was a thousand paces, Roman soldier. The Roman soldier would say, all right, good, all right, put the bag down, get someone else to carry it. What if the person decided to go a second mile? All right, hey, that was a thousand, let's go a thousand more. I would walk five, no. Okay, so I'm going another mile. Now, imagine what this puts the Roman soldier in a very precarious position. Because one, if he is seen that he is forcing more upon uh, this person than what is allowed, they could get in trouble from their superiors. They could also be looked down upon by their other Roman soldier colleague people. You know, when they're doing cards in the end of the day, like, hey, man, you saw, you took Greg's, made him go two miles today. That was not cool. I don't know what they're, anyway. So, but going the second mile, imagine the Roman soldier who is wanting to hold to the letter of the law a thousand paces and then begging the person, take off the backpack. Here, take, I, I can't let you carry it anymore. Can you see how weird that would look for a Roman soldier to be begging or trying to get the other person to not do work for them? It would be humiliating. Just as if they were going to go that second mile, they could be in trouble by their superiors. And so Jesus is not saying be passive. He's saying, okay, fine, if they're going to make you do this, let's go see it out to the very end. And now that person might think twice, and so might the other people who are watching think twice before they make you go that first mile in the first place. Does that make sense? You guys are pretty quiet. The first service was more lively than you. Usually you guys pick it up by now, but come on. These are all meant to expose injustice. All of these things were meant to expose the evil and evilness and evildoer in that society. And this is why Jesus gives these examples. Both of them were happening. All of them were happening. So then, is Jesus commanding his people to be passive? He's not. Very opposite. There's still injustice in this world that needs to be exposed for what it is. There's still evil in this world that needs to be exposed for what it is. And throughout history, there has been many movements among believers of nonviolent resistance. There's even entire denominations that are committed to pacifism, not entering into any military service or governmental service, and even those people who deny their own social security number because they refuse to contribute anything to government funding because they disagree with what the government's doing in the secular world, whatever. And yet there's other Christian denominations that petition the government, who are actively involved in politics and petitioning the government to exact uh, wrongs and to make things or laws that are unjust, just. Now, when I was writing this uh, sermon, uh, two people came to mind. Uh, One is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the other one is Uh, Martin Luther King. 
Some of you might not have heard of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a minister in Germany during the uh, Nazi revolution. And he was a pacifist, and he was very, very, very against what Hitler was doing and what Nazism was all about. He was totally against it. But yet, as he was watching um, this evil take over, he couldn't idly stand by. He felt like he had to do something. He was training his students that he had on how to, be, um, how to do passive resistance and active resistance uh, through nonviolent means. But he says, quote, It's an evil time when the world lets injustice happen silently. When the oppression of the poor and the wretched cries out to heaven, when the persecuted church calls to God for help in the house of dire distress, or in the hour of dire distress, and exhorts people to do justice, and yet no mouth on earth is opening to bring justice. He was looking around and saying, All this is happening. Is anyone going to stand up? Is anyone going to rise up? Now, there is back and forth history on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's involvement in a group that was actively trying to assassinate Hitler, whether he was taking an active part in that or was he just a part of that same group because there was so much uh, in common with what he was trying to do. We don't know for sure exactly what his involvement was, but what we do know for sure is that he walked a very thin line between what he held to his just deeply held belief about what Jesus had called him to, to do and how to live, and this attempt that he knew was, was going to be happening as well. He ended up getting uh, arrested by the Gestapo um, later because at one point he left Germany uh, and then came back uh, years later and he was arrested and accused of uh, avoiding military service in the German army, and so he was executed. He was killed. But for others of us, I think we're more familiar uh, with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his movement of nonviolent resistance, specifically in the South when many blacks were being lynched, uh, being killed, Uh, The unjust laws of Jim Crow, where segregation was the norm and rights were not being offered and voting rights were not being offered uh, to blacks. And so he was wanting to create change. And what his teaching was doing was training his people to not respond violently when they were being attacked, when they were being abused. And so when people would turn on the news, the national news, because now this was getting national attention finally about what was happening in the South, people would turn on the TVs and watch people being beaten, being uh, attacked by dogs, being sprayed down by water hoses, being spit at, being uh, food dumped on them, being kicked, pushed, and them not responding violently. It would give the people a sense that this is wrong. Something has to be done about this. We have to do something. And so eventually, things began changing. And it was a very, very difficult time, especially in our own country's history. So we're still left with some lingering questions. Is is Jesus' call to us today in these, uh, these three instances, is he calling us individually to respond these ways? Is he responding us to respond 
corporately in these ways. In other words, are we to continue to follow Jesus' message on how to respond to evil and an evildoer individually, or is this part of a corporate church body movement? Well, you can go maybe both ways on that. But I'm going to stop there because maybe in the back of your minds you're thinking, well, hey, Jeremy, okay, come on. You've been in the Army for 22 years. You're, in, you're still serving in the Kansas National Guard. How do you justify being in the military if, you know, if we're supposed to be pacifists, if we're not supposed to rise arms against other people? It's a good question. But that's not the direction of the sermon I'm going today. No. I, I would like to educate you, though. Some of you don't know uh, that chaplains were not allowed to carry weapons. I don't carry a weapon. I can't even go to the shooting range and practice with a weapon. I'm not allowed to even pick up a weapon. I'm I'm forbidden to do that. And I go along with that. I've made that decision myself as well. I can't go into battle with any kind of weapon. And there's even stipulations on what kind of a vehicle I can drive of what it's transporting. Not allowed to do that. But I'm going to stop there because I think there would be a better time to address this maybe in a one or two part series as maybe we want to talk about just war theory and uh, just at bellum and just in bellow, which is just basically justice of war and justice in war and how Augustine, St. Augustine uh, came to this theory. But for the purposes of this sermon, by the way, maybe you want to come back and hear that sermon someday. I don't know when it's going to happen, but, you know, maybe John will give me an opportunity. Um... I just wanted us to to hear these words of Jesus is that he is not calling us to be passive. He's calling us to be active. In the first instance, we are creating equality amongst two people from someone who was in a lower status and to be raised up into an equal status with another person. The second is to show an injustice for what shouldn't have been taken in the first place and to essentially give over to a person so that they will realize that What they asked for in the first place was wrong. And then thirdly, to go that extra mile, one being forced to do something maybe we didn't want to do in the first place, but to go even further to allow that person's conscience and the Holy Spirit to begin to tell them what they ought not to be doing. Jesus goes even further right after this. He calls us to love our enemies, to love those, to pray for those who persecute us. How are we doing with that one? How often do you find yourself in the middle of the night praying for those who you consider your enemies or those who persecute you? I struggle with that one too. It's challenging, and Jesus never said it was going to be easy, but Jesus did say, I am going to be with you to the very end of the age. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit for discernment in all circumstances that we find ourselves into. And if we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, I know how I'm going to respond in these instances, and it's not going to have much godly character. But when I find myself in tune with the Spirit, then I get restraint, and I say, what do I need to do to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and lay down my own sense of entitlement or pride or whatever? Again, this sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount is all about a higher standard, a higher calling that Jesus is teaching to his hearers. He said, you've once heard it said this, but I am telling you this. It's all about um, a higher standard. And so this is my prayer this morning for us to, 
for have, uh, to have God change our heart, to have the Holy Spirit give us the discernment that we need throughout our daily interactions and to recognize um, when we need to submit to the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a challenging sermon, and I'm glad that I never preach anything that I don't need to hear myself. And I'm grateful that um, you do call us to a higher standard, that you do set us apart because your way is better than our ways. So help us to discern and how to confront evil, evildoers and injustice, not only in our community, but around our state and around our world. God, that you would give us eyes to have your eyes and for, that we would have your heart, that we would hear the things that cause you distress, to see the things that cause you pain, and let us come together and address those. God is your body. We are one in spirit, so help us to unite as Christians, not only in this place, in our community, but around the world, that we would come together to bring about your kingdom to this earth. Amen.